Welcome to the Reality of Herbal Therapy podcast, episode 91, Balancing Your pH. So we got Scott again, and today we kind of wanted to talk a bit about, last time we talked with Scott, we talked about the the Reams tests and the things that he checks, and we talked a bit about pH. Um, you want to give us a little more in-depth on pH and why that's important to check? Yeah, absolutely. So pH, there's certain things I use to move the pH. We'll talk about that in a second. But so when we pH, um, for a while, we followed the paradigm of just high, high pH. Um, Should be a 7.5 to 8 is what we followed for a long time. And there was always just something that felt like kind of off with that for me because it always took like, almost a raw vegan diet to get there or like you had to use some pretty extreme measures to stay up in that range generally um and it just felt i don't know it just felt like there was something missing from it uh, i read all the books like uh alkaline or die or the ph miracle and all those things and then when i was getting my um degree in herbology i started to learn about reams testing and i was always arguing with a professor that um sorry yeah the reams my naturopathic degree i might have said herbology um but i was i would always argue with my professor about no the ph needs to be high and then i was like okay fine i'll look at your point of view and see if it's right because we always said that mold fungus yeast can't live in an alkaline environment so started researching it mold yep it can live in an acidic or an alkaline environment it actually in an acidic environment is where it makes more of itself and in an alkaline environment is actually where it um, grows hair and actually looks like what we think of as mold. Um, the same with fungus and yeast, they all actually can grow in a wider uh, environment and different varieties will grow in different areas. And actually they'll push the pH one direction or another because of their growth cycle. Um, so that for me was like, okay, well, that was one of the main things we thought of. Um, but the pH um, tells us so much more. It tells us how well things are being absorbed it tells us what nutrients the body needs. It shows us um, digestively how fast things are going to move through the system. So if someone has, like a woman, if she has a pH below uh, 6.4, especially if it's down close to the fives, uh, there's going to be reproductive issues. If a woman has a low pH like that, starting out when she first starts her menstrual cycle and keeps that low pH until she's in her forties, she most likely had a hysterectomy because it's that harsh on your reproductive system. Sometimes if the pH stays low, a woman's cycle may stop and never come back, or it may not start at all. Um, there's going to be a lot more severe problems than generally there's infertility. If it was a high pH, a woman is going to have a very heavy menstrual cycle and generally she's going to be constipated and it's going to be just like she'll have a flow that's just crazy because the body's not getting rid of all the toxins it needs to. And it's literally hijacking the reproductive organs as a cleansing organ. It's like, Hey, we don't have to filter the junk out of the blood. Let's just bleed. And so it bleeds like crazy. Um, and so you're seeing those kinds of things with the reproductive health, any of the soft organs, if it's really high pH are going to get softer. And all hard organs like your bones and teeth are going to get even, they're going to get too soft and they're going to start to get porous and other things like that. If it's too acid, 
you, all your soft tissue, like your reproductive organs, your arteries, your lungs, your brain, are all going to be coming calcified and getting harder um, and causing more issues there. Then um, if your pHs are actually um, not together the same. So if they were both a 6.4 and a 6.4, both your urine and saliva, digestively, you'd probably be able to eat anything without it bothering you. you know, those types of people that just drive certain people crazy because it doesn't matter what they eat, it doesn't give them a problem. They could eat cans like a goat could, and they'd still be okay. Um, and that's the magic of actually having all of the calcium necessary to deal with whatever comes through. They're going to excessively use all those calciums, and eventually they might catastrophically fail. But at the moment, they have enough calciums to deal with it. If their pH is actually split, do they have a pH that's low in the urine and high in the mouth? Then generally, that's where there's going to be a lot of food allergies. There's going to be a lot of uh, digestive issues. The gut is really not going to function well. There could be gaining weight and all kinds of things because the digestive system is not agreeing on the way it's working as it goes through the body. Um, if both of the pHs are acidic, saliva and urine, generally there's irritable bowel. Everything's moving fast. They're not holding on to things. If they're constipated, they're very uncomfortably constipated because chemically it wants to move. And if physically it stops, it's very uncomfortable. If both pHs are really high, then they're going to be constipated and nothing's going to be moving and they're going to be super toxic. Their sweat's going to smell bad. All kinds of things are going to be terrible. And at any of the times that the pH is away from a 6.4, you are lacking in minerals and vitamins. You're lacking in specific ones that manage that pH. And mostly it's calcium because calcium is the main mineral that your body uses to push the pH one direction or the other. Well, and it uses different types of calciums to do that. So there's a host of different things you can see from where the pHs are. Um, and once the pHs are balanced, it's huge in what it does clear across the board. And the way that you are able to digest sugars and salts and everything, because all minerals are dependent on what your pH is. The further your pH gets out of range, the less vitamins and minerals you can effectively use in your body. So they float around as useless. So um, really, you've got to... Managing at first can be a little frustrating because it can move up and down depending on how deprived you are of mineral. And the main things that you would use, um, there's when it comes to vitamins, the aesthetic vitamin is main one is vitamin C. Vitamin C is going to affect specifically your urine pH, and that's going to reduce it. It does nothing for your mouth pH. You want to get your mouth pH down? Vitamin C is not helping. Um, but your urine pH, it'll take it down. And so if you run acidic and then you take a bunch of vitamin C because you heard it's great for your immune system and stuff, you're the person that's going to think that, that the person told you about vitamin C is an idiot because it's not going to do much for you. <laughs> but if you're really alkaline, you're going to sing praises of vitamin C and think it's the most wonderful, absolute best thing ever. Okay. Um, but vitamin C, most people are deficient in vitamin C, but not everybody can use vitamin C how it's packaged in a sense, even vitamin C from rose hips or from acerola cherries or anything like that is still acidic. The only vitamin C it's not going to be acidic is if you make your own, if you get some white onions, and you get a pound of white onions and chop those up, um, peel and all. 
the whole onion, the little root thing that's on it, everything. Chop it all up, put it in two cups of water, and boil it till it turns kind of clearish. And then strain out the onion, and you have vitamin C water. That will not move your pH one way or the other. And you can actually start to fill up the vitamin C. A lot of people think, oh, you don't store vitamin C. You can take as much as you want, and you don't store it. You, the, you actually do store vitamin C. Um, in between your cells, the concrete or the, the mortar that holds your cells together is vitamin C. It is in all of your interstitial fluid, and it is essential for the way that you function. And one of the main ways that you lose vitamin C is scrubbing your whole body with soap. Because you get rid of the layer that holds in your vitamin C, and you drain out your vitamin C, especially for little kids. You'll really drain their vitamin C by scrubbing them down with soap regularly. You should scrub the really yucky parts, but in general, you should wash with water and other things like that. And if you're constantly scrubbing with soap, you're going to be really depleting your vitamin C. Do the um, you look like you had questions? Yeah, like the um, it made me think of the everybody the hand sanitizers. Does it do the same kind of thing? Like, I know it's mostly alcohol. Does it strip you of that vitamin C layer and everything too? Yeah, so you'd be draining it out your hands. Anything that is um, getting rid of the oil on your skin is going to be um, letting out your vitamin C because you have a layer on your skin that protects and actually holds in all your water soluble stuff. And that's all going to drain out. And it's most your main way that you're going to lose vitamin C is through your skin. Hmm. So you're actually hurting, you're hurting your immune system basically by using the, using the hand sanitizer too much. Yeah, you can be. And also the fact is that they're your hands, like uh, sour, people that make sourdough, when they test their hands, they almost have the same exact cultures as the bread does hmm. all over their hands. Um, and there's no room for any other bacteria to grow because their hands are so grown with the bacteria that's um, in their dough. In their dough. And so there's only bacteria doesn't grow on top of bacteria on top of bacteria on top of bacteria. There's only so much room on your hand for bacteria. There's good bacteria. There's bad bacteria. There's good and bad of everything. And if your body actually has the good stuff on your hands and you completely sanitize and kill 99% of all the germs, guess what? The 1% is not the good stuff. It is the bad stuff because it's actually a lot more resilient to that junk than the good bacteria are. So you kill off all your good bacteria. Now you just sterilize your hands nothing is protecting your hands anymore. You don't have that good bacteria taking up residence on your hands. And so now you can completely fill your hands with whatever bacteria is nearby. But if your hands, if you were able to clean your hands with stuff that actually doesn't destroy the good bacteria that's on your hands, then you actually have a greater protection because you have that bacteria that should should be there and the natural sterilizing things that are in your sweat and other stuff like that that actually help to build up cultures and protect it um like even like when you're growing like yogurt or something like that with yogurt it's like having the greater amount of the the bacteria you specifically want to grow or cheese having the greater amount of that bacteria you want to grow so it takes precedence and so if you have a good amount of good bacteria like if you make sourdough a lot you're gonna have a lot of good (laughs) bacteria on your hands that's from the sourdough they'll actually prevent bad bacteria from even taking up residence so yes it reduces your immune system because we get rid of vitamin c but also reduces 
um, your immune system because you literally washed off your immune system. So, yeah. And vitamin C, it's, it holds the cells together. So that's why people that are diabetic start to really have sores and fall apart because they dump a lot of their vitamin C in the process. Um, and if they're scrubbing constantly with a lot of soap over their whole body, they are draining vitamin C and they don't have anything to hold their cells together. And that's why they really start to have serious sores and things. Hmm. Yeah. So vitamin C is an acidic vitamin, but if you make it out of onions, it's not acidic. It's actually neutral. And you can actually take that broth that you make. You could put it into a soup. You don't really want to boil it beyond that point that you've made it. So it could be something that's added to a soup that you're not just going to boil out all the water or added to something as a broth. Um, or you could just straight up drink. But that recipe, you drink it maybe one to two times a week. And that would be providing a good amount of your vitamin C. And guess what? It's cheap. <laughs> it just takes some effort. Um, but there are times when you're really alkaline and you need that acidic vitamin C. If you're really alkaline, use vitamin C like crazy until it comes down and you will see huge benefits from it. Um, on the flip side of the vitamins, it's vitamin D that is alkaline. Vitamin D is going to raise your urine pH. Um, actually, if somebody is below a 6.4, they can actually take a bunch of vitamin D. They can take 150,000 IUs vitamin D a day. Um, without becoming toxic. The only way you become toxic is your amount, your pH becomes above 6.4 and you continue to take D. That's where you're going to end up becoming toxic on D. That's where you'll end up having problems. But it, it takes quite a bit of effort to do that. Um, so D raises vitamin C lowers. Both of them are great for the immune system. So if, for instance, you're really acidic, if you take a bunch of D and some C, you'd have some benefit. If you're really alkaline and you take them both together, they're actually really awesome because they balance each other. So if your pH is good and you take a good amount of both of them, then you're actually going to keep it more in the right range and have the benefit of both your vitamin C and D. So is that why um, dad would say take a whole bunch of vitamin D when you got, when you were starting with the flu, because it would seems like it would balance out the pH, especially with the American diet. Everybody's pH is probably mostly low. So that much vitamin D would boost it. Yeah, it's generally low. And so there are some of the people that it didn't just necessarily work for. And those were the people who were like, why? What in the world? Um, and now since I've been testing pH, if I see it high, I'm like, okay, do the D and do 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. And with that, it actually... So if they're already high, then it actually makes it so it performs just as well as somebody who's acidic because we have that acidic to balance it out. And then there's people that just rave about vitamin C. Those are the odd people that their pH is really high. And the people that rave about D are the people that their pHs run low. And there's a different ones. There's different stages of health that one's going to be in one or the other. D is phenomenal. I still use it. And that's if I don't know anyone's pH still, if something's coming on and you're starting to feel flu-like or whatever, or sick, I still say do a thousand units of vitamin D per pound of body weight, hands down. Um, for, I generally do, dad always did it for three days in a row, um, but I was reading the guy that actually was doing it or started it and he did it, dad would say two days in a row. And the guy that originally started doing it would do it three days in a row. So I've started just telling people three days in a row. 
Um, so vitamin C, vitamin D, those are the main acidic versus alkaline. And those only affect urine pH. So you're not going to notice it if you're not checking the urine. Um, the other ones that check the urine pH is, is calciums. So we think everybody says, oh, you got to have calcium for your bones. It's, it's going to help you out. And then um, you get a calcium test and it's like, okay, you have low bone density, but too much calcium. So what's happening there? <laughs> okay. Uh, or you have low bone density and you're making kidney stones. Uh, you got low bone density and all these things. So there's, there's signs of lacking of calcium, but showing excess calcium. How's that possible? So the way that's actually possible is because um, we classify calcium as calcium, which is wrong. There are 17 different varieties of calcium that we can consume. And they're classified into three different groups. There's alkaline calciums, which have a pH that is going to, it'll raise you above 6.4. You can go way high. And then there are the acidic calciums that will lower your pH down to way low. <laughs> and then there's neutral calciums, which will actually stabilize your pH and keep it right about a 6.4. And there's times when you need all of them. Uh, not generally all at once, sometimes all at once. But there's times that you're going to need one, then times you're going to need another. And it really depends on what your pH is. If you don't check your pH, you could be taking the exact wrong calcium for you. Um, and most people, like in health food store, they'll, they'll always have like uh, calcium citrate. Calcium citrate, there's nothing wrong with calcium citrate. It's a mild alkaliner. It'll mildly move your pH up. Um, and that's why most people use it because... If somebody has a higher pH, it's not going to be as aggressive and cause as many problems. And if they have a low pH, it's going to start to slowly move in the right direction. It also is used because it has a lot of calcium per volume because not all calciums, um, like there's a certain amount of calcium per how much powder is there. You think the whole powder is calcium, but it's not. Um, it has more calcium per volume than most other calciums. That's another reason why they mainly use it. But um, it's mildly alkaline. A calcium aspartate. You've heard of aspartate probably, or there's um, ascorbate. Uh, there's a variety of different ones. Aspartate is actually neutral. Gluconate is neutral. Uh, bone broth. You hear about that, and everybody thinks, "Oh yeah, it comes to the bones." Bone broth, great. Absolutely for the right person. If you are alkaline, bone broth is for you. If you're acidic, you don't want to use bone broth because bone broth is going to acidify you more, and so it's the calcium that's actually going to build up. It's going to cause problems and uh, cause kidney stones or bone spurs or things like that. So the reason why you'd have low showing your body's showing low calcium issues and also showing high calcium issues is because acidic versus alkaline calciums. If your pH is a five, you're dumping all the acidic calcium you possibly can. You're trying to get it out in any way. Make it into a bone spur. Make it into a kidney stone. Pee it out. Bleed it out. I don't care. Just get it out. Because <laughs> it's got to create a balance between the alkaline and acidic forms of calcium. So um, that's why you'll show high because you can be low in the alkaline and high in the acidic. And the two, well, in, in ratio. <laughs> So total volume of calcium that your body needs. If your pH moves at all, 
if you eat something in two hours later, your pH is not a 6.4, then you did not have the right calcium to deal with that food. It should always stay at 6.4. And so if you're always staying acidic, then you have too much of the acidic, but, or you have too little of the alkaline. And you have to create a balance and actually fill up both of them to the point that it doesn't move one way or the other, your pH, because it has enough of both of them to buffer whatever you send through. And if you use the right one at the right time, it's huge because calcium is used more by weight and volume than any other mineral in the body. It's um, massive when it comes to mood stabilization and all kinds of things. It's the first mineral that we actually lose that starts the cascade of bad health because it's, it's essential in liver building cells and it's essential in managing sugars. And there's a whole cascade that goes out from there. Um, but the, using it right calcium, that's why there's so much litter out there. Literature, do not use calcium. It's terrible. You get enough in your food. Just don't use excess. And then there's others like use a lot because it's amazing. They're both right. And they're both wrong. Um, <laughs> because it's the right one at the right time is absolutely as phenomenal as you've ever heard calcium is. And the wrong one at the wrong time is as terrible as you ever heard calcium was. So yeah, use calcium is right and by checking your pH. You can know what it is. Your acidic ones, like if your pH is below 6.4, then you don't want a bone broth. You don't want a lactate and you don't want buttermilk. If it's above a 6.4, you could use a lactate calcium, you could use a buttermilk, and you could use a bone broth. If it is above as well, if it's above 6.4, if you want something to bring it down, you're going to bring it, well, so those are going to bring it down, the, the lactate. If you're above 6.4, you do not want to use a citrate or a carbonate or a, um, yeah, citrate, carbonate, or hydroxide. You don't want to use any of those because they will raise it higher um if it's right in the right zone well watch it and see if it moves <laughs> uh sometimes calcium gluconate is the calcium if you need more calcium and you're in the right range the calcium gluconate is what's going to stabilize and keep you in the right spot um so that's a very basic overview of what calcium's do in ph but it is so profound in what it does in your body and that's just the urine ph is um, the mouth pHs are affected by actually B12 and iron. Uh, there's a lot of people, I actually had a client, they had hemochromatosis and they had idiopathic anemia. So he had anemia that had, that had no clue why he was anemic and he had too much iron. Idiopathic uh, hemochromatosis means you're toxic on iron and he was anemic, which meant that he could not absorb the iron properly because he didn't have enough B12. B12 is the coenzyme to utilizing iron. B12 raises your mouth pH, iron lowers your mouth pH. If your mouth pH is below 6.4, you don't need iron, you need B12. And you need enough B12 that you can actually start taking iron. You might need both, but you might have to take B12 long enough that you can handle the iron and then use B12 and iron together to balance. Because iron will lower your mouth pH, B12 will raise it. Um, and just by managing those makes a huge difference. There are five other numbers in the range test that are all very important, but pH is also a huge factor. And it's one of the ones that we have to work really hard on in getting that in range, which helps all the other numbers to level out significantly. 
you have any questions, Jim? <laughs> I think you covered everything I like had written down to ask you about. So, um, so get the right calcium to bring your urine pH to where you want it to be, and either B12 or iron to bring your um, mouth pH to where it's where you want it to be. And you want it to be between yep. 6.4 and 6. Point, what's the? So it's like well, 6.2 and 6.6 is mm -hmm. the ideal range, is, is the swing range it can be in, but perfect is 6.4. Okay. So 6.4 is the number you want. Yeah. You're shooting for. Awesome. Yep. Cool, cool. All right. Well, I will put all of that down in the show notes so everybody can, can do it. And if you have questions, let us know. I appreciate you taking the time to visit with us, Scott. And we will talk to you guys later. All right. Talk to you later. It is not the intent of professional herbal instruction or any persons associated therewith to diagnose or prescribe. The intent is only to offer herbal information for your consideration. In the event you use this information without your doctor's approval, you are prescribing for yourself, which is your God-given right. But professional herbal instruction or any persons associated herewith assume no responsibility. The claims and statements made on this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.